Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Some say the federal uh, control of public lands in Utah has resulted in stunted economic development, an imbalance in access, and increased fire danger in national forests, among other problems. A new study from University of Utah Law School's Stegner Center argues that a Utah takeover of 31 million acres of public lands could lead to less public access and less public involvement in land use decisions. Representative Ken Ivory of West Jordan is a key figure in the land transfer effort. He was to be our guest in the first half of the program today, but he had a scheduling conflict to come up. So uh, we are joined uh, right now by Utah Assistant Attorney General Tony Rampton, who's Director of Public Lands Litigation. Mr. Rampton, uh, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, especially very last minute. We're, <laughs> we're talking about 10 minutes before the program. We gave you a call, so we really appreciate you uh, joining us. Uh, later in the program, uh, we have a, a conversation from yesterday with uh, Representative Brian King, who also had scheduled a conflict for today. We were able to record something with him, and uh, we'll have that on. He is House Minority Leader and uh, opposes uh, a transfer of, uh, of public lands from federal to, uh, to state control. Uh, so, Mr. Raptor, first of all, I'd like to maybe have you give voice to, to those who are frustrated with federal control of some 70% of Utah lands. Uh, I think Nevada's percentage is even higher, and in, in, in the western states, it's uh, overall, it's 52%. Um, so, for example, uh, and, and I think uh, we've all been familiar with, uh, with some of these uh, incidences, uh, so, for example, Iron County commissioners uh, in the last year or two uh, passed a, uh, a resolution uh, saying that, that federal law was invalid if it interfered with functioning of local government. Uh, a San Juan County commissioner organized an ATV ride in uh, BLM lands after they made some of those lands off-limit to off-road vehicles. There has been uh, some frustration uh, you hear from county commissioners, but others as well. I wonder if you could uh, talk about uh, the rationale behind this idea for transfer of, uh, of lands to state control. Well, what you're seeing uh, in these isolated incidents uh, are demonstrations of the frustration that uh, local government is feeling in this state by reason of the dominance of federal land and federal regulation. Um, so you're seeing these incidents that are symptomatic of the problem, but don't really address the basic problem. And uh, that is the question of whether federal public land policy is working. Uh, is it working for anybody? Is it working for the federal government? Is it working for state government? Or is it working for local government? And I think anyone who looks at that objectively uh, will see that it's not working for anyone. And this public land transfer effort is an attempt by the state of Utah and its counties take over the responsibility for the stewardship of the public lands. 
because the federal program is not working. Our forests are in bad shape. The range is in terrible shape. Uh, the federal government uh, has failed to properly fund the administration of the public lands for decades. They've built up billions and billions of dollars in deferred maintenance. Um, the federal managers on the ground uh, are unable to react to situations on the ground because of the federal process that has is in place uh, requiring uh, environmental impact statements uh, and also enabling litigation. So uh, there, I mean, we don't have enough time really to go through all of the problems with federal administration and the federal policies. But the fact of the matter is that things are not working Hmm. for anybody. And so... That's the basis for the effort, is to transfer the lands in the state ownership so that the state can more efficiently and effectively, I think, manage the lands. I wonder if you could take us through uh, briefly the, the the legal argument. I understand this uh, has to do with the enabling clause, which uh, allowed Utah to enter the union. This is uh, similar, I think, to enabling clauses of other states. And it uh, used to be the federal government would dispose of those those lands, but when they got to western states, they, they stopped doing that. Is, I wonder if you could maybe take it from there and correct me if I'm wrong on that. Well, yeah, you have to go back in history a bit. Um, in fact, back to the formation of the, uh, the Union. Uh, when the United States was formed back in the late 1780s, uh, it found itself within a very short period of time in the ownership of a vast amount of western land, uh, going clear to the Pacific with the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, the boundaries of the United States stretch from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And most of that land was totally uninhabited, save for Native Americans and some Spanish down in the uh, Southwest. But when the United States concluded the Revolutionary War, it was in a lot of debt. The only asset it had really was this land. So the decision was made at that time, and it became federal policy to, over time, dispose of this land by sale or grant or whatever. One, to facilitate the settlement of the Western lands, and two, to raise money for the federal treasury. That was the policy. And that policy was built into the State Enabling Acts. And the Enabling Acts were the mechanism created by Congress to admit new states to the Union. So... All of the states, starting with the original 13 colonies, had built into them, and in their enabling acts, this concept of disposal of federally owned land. That was still the policy in 1894 when Utah's enabling act was passed. And that enabling act was accepted by 
the citizens of Utah when they passed the Utah Constitution, which was basically the acceptance of the offer that was extended in the Enabling Act. So at the time that Utah became a state, federal policy, and in fact the understanding of the parties to the agreement, that is the state and the federal government, was that the federal land in the state would over time be disposed of because that had been the policy. And that is in fact is what had occurred in most of the United States. Shortly after Utah became a state, that policy started to shift. And it wasn't an immediate shift, it was a very gradual shift. And over the next 70 years, basically, the policy of the United States started to move away from a policy of disposal to a policy of retention and preservation. That change in policy violated the understanding that was in place when Utah became a state, and for that matter, when most of the Western states became states. And the theory behind, the legal theory behind uh, this land transfer effort is that the United States government went back on the agreement we had with them at the time of statehood. They have not disposed of the public lands, and that those lands to compensate for this failure, those lands should be transferred into state ownership. That's basically uh, the theory behind, the legal theory behind <clears throat> uh, this movement. Now, it can take uh, different forms. You get different arguments that can be made out of that same basic argument, but that's the basic argument. Of course, you're, you're heavily involved in this as Director of Public Lands uh, Litigation. By the way, we're talking this half hour to uh, Tony Rampton, who joins us. We're grateful for him uh, uh, stepping in last minute for uh, Representative Ivory. Uh, he's uh, Utah Assistant Attorney General and Director of Public Lands Litigation. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Representative uh, Brian King, House Minority uh, Leader. You're welcome to join this conversation. We have another 15 minutes left in this half hour. Um, the number is 1-800-826-1495. Uh, love to hear what you think, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, on our Facebook page, and email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I do have an email, and we'll get to that in just uh, one minute. Um, I, I want to uh, um, touch the question that uh, I guess is uppermost in my mind as I, I look at this. I, I'm very familiar with the Sagebrush Rebellion of the 70s and 80s. Uh, the, these uh, attempts and the, this impetus has come in waves. The uh, others on the on the other side, and you'll hear Representative King uh, say this in the next half hour. You, you know, call call this effort quixotic and unlikely. Uh, th- there seems to be a very serious sense of purpose uh, for proponents this time around, and and a sense of hope. I wonder how how, how likely you think this is to be successful. Well, this isn't uh, another sagebrush rebellion. This is a lot more. Um, the sagebrush rebellion came out of the same frustration, but 
uh, frankly, the Sagebrush Rebellion uh, went off on the wrong track. Uh, it was not done uh, thoughtfully, in my mind, uh, and so it fell apart, basically, because the groundwork wasn't done and natural constituencies fell away in any event. To support your point, uh, there, there, uh, I think in December, when a previous study came out, um, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance was up with television ads. Uh, so, yeah, to, to support that point. Uh, let's get to uh, a call, and we have a couple of emails. This is Carl in St. George. Carl, uh, glad you joined the program. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thanks, gentlemen. Uh, Tom, uh, is there a reason that you invited Ken Ivory to be your guest this morning? What was the reason you invited him as the legislature of choice? Uh, he's been he's been you know central figure in in this uh, this attempt. Okay. So that's I, I was very curious to get his point of view. I have to smile when you said he had a scheduling change because I think this is this is the quintessential example of why this whole push to have the state control public lands is being. Uh, it, it, the movement is being moved forward. Did you know that Ken Ivory, his family, is one of the biggest land developers in the state of Utah? And what would happen if the state controlled these public lands and they're responsible for fighting forest fires all of a sudden, their uh, land, um, uh, the public lands to keep them up like like it's being proposed that they want to do, that's going to run into a lot of money. And what will happen is the state's going to have to sell off land to raise revenue to pay for all of these wonderful things they're saying the state can do better than the federal government. And guess who's going to be standing in line to buy the lands when the state sells them? The big land developers, the ivory and companies. I have to smile. You know, half the legislature up there is land developers. That's who's moving this whole thing forward. They want to buy this land, and if you think the federal government makes it tough for people to get on federal lands now, wait till our lands in Utah are tied up by federal developer. I mean by state and private de- 
not state, but private developers, uh, to build on. Why, we won't even be able to get close to land. Mm. And I think that's why this whole movement is being moved, is because of its, the developers. It's money in their pocket. It puts self-interest against the common good of the people. Okay. That's uh, my comment. Okay. All right. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate uh, appreciate your uh, your view. Uh, so let me get a reaction uh, uh, from uh, from Mr. Rampton. I'll you know I I uh, I don't share Carl's I guess cynical view that this is uh, self interest. I you know uh, take it on face value that it's a philosophical uh, view here. But the, to the point, uh, Mr. Rampton, that. Uh, the, the state would have trouble financially managing these lands, and perhaps a sell-off would uh, would ensue, would be needed. Um, the gentleman is wrong in basically all respects. Um, first of all, uh, Representative Ivory has nothing to do with the Ivory family that uh, owns and develops land in the state. Uh, he has absolutely nothing to do with that. So uh, I want to dispose of that up front. Now, the question of the cost that might be involved and whether the state would sell off the land, um, we just completed uh, an 18-month economic study. It was done by three state universities to try to get a handle on uh, what a transfer public lands would cost and how we would pay those costs. And it's very complex, there's no question about it, and the numbers are substantial. But the study showed that the state could finance the management of the public lands and that uh, under certain, certain scenarios, the state would be a net gainer, substantial gainer, uh, if the land were transferred to the state. So we know now what the numbers look like, what the revenues and uh, the costs are. We know how, how to meet those costs. And none of that involves the sale of these public lands. There is absolutely no intent. In fact, there is the opposite. There is no intent to sell these public lands off. These lands will remain public land permanently. Okay. Now, uh, on, on the question of access, he, he's wrong again because what we're trying to do, what the state is trying to do, is preserve and enhance access, not deny access. Um, Mr. Rampton, the, this, uh, this this topic seems to be a hit. We have a couple of callers, have a couple of emailers. We had asked you to stay till 930. I don't know if you're able to stay a little past. Uh, sure. You're, Thank you. Appreciate that uh, very much. Uh, so our next caller up is Tom in Vernal. Uh, Tom, I am a Tom from Vernal, but uh, you're you're Tom in Vernal. Uh, thanks for thanks for calling. Do it. Do we have Tom? We will. Uh, let's go to Margaret, also in Vernal. Margaret, are you there? Uh, hello, Margaret. Are you there? Yes. Yes. Yes, Margaret. Go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, my comment was that the the gentleman that was talking about um, 
the uh, the selling off of land to developers and so on, I thoroughly agree with him. I, I just wanted to make that comment. You, you think that that's a, a, a possibility at least? That the, a the, great possibility, yeah. okay. yes. Okay, thank you, Margaret. And that would be terrible because the, the uh, land we have in um, in um, uh, sorry, uh, Utah is not duplicated in anywhere else in the world, I don't think. Okay. I've traveled quite extensively, and I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Okay, Thank thanks. You. Thanks, Margaret. Appreciate that. Uh, so so you're, I think you've you've addressed this, Mr. Rampton. If you want to say anything else, then, then we do have Tom and Pearl. Well, yeah, I, I would like to say this. Um, I, I agree with uh, the lady that just called in terms of the, the beauty of this state and the physical attributes of the state. One thing this economic study showed was the economic importance to the state of tourism and recreation. It's a huge economic driver. The state has every financial interest and every intent of protecting and preserving and promoting the scenic wonders of this state. Uh, so a transfer of the public lands is not going to result in the degradation of these beautiful, pristine areas. Okay. It's in the state's, it's in the state's economic interest to protect them. Uh, let's go next to Tom and Vernal. Tom, uh, glad you joined us. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, I want to respond to the uh, charge that's routinely leveled that the forests have been mismanaged. And I think it, it needs uh, some more tweaking than that because, uh, for, for uh, starters, the condition of the forest that's generally referred to is the buildup of fuels and our fire management situation. But it's been long known that it's been the exclusion of fire that has created these dangerous conditions. I was in forestry school uh, in the 70s, and right back then, fire management was an up-and-coming science. But it went against the current uh, existing wisdom as to how land was supposed to be treated. So the, the Forest Service has had to build back in fire into landscapes, like in Flaming Gorge or in certain national parks, you see that fire management is, is something that, that is restoring health to the, the forest, and certainly that needs to be done. But I think that it's used by people who just generally oppose federal ownership, for instance, oppose the idea of wilderness, because they say, looky here, you know, these forests require the hand of man to be managed properly, and we've got to get in there and we've got to do things. When actually what went wrong was humans were excluding a natural process that kept the ecosystems healthy. And if you ask me whether or not I think the state government or, heaven forbid, the county government will bring enlightened fire management to the forests, I, uh, I quite frankly don't, don't believe it. I, I think that the feds are far better qualified, and they're the ones who have led the charge to restore forest health as far as fuel loading and, and fire management goes. So if you ask me if I think the, uh, the feds are doing a good job with that, yeah, I think they are, as they're reversing uh, what was conventional wisdom and bringing us into the 21st century. I trust them to do a far better job of that than the other entities. 
Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, Tony Rampton, uh, th- this is a topic that you hear as a part of this uh, the d- debate. Uh, some proponents I've heard uh, have said that uh, they feel that the state could do a better job uh, managing lands with regard to, to fire. Well, uh, the caller is is correct with respect to uh, the fact that uh, it's been federal policy over the last 50 years to restrict fires and prevent fires and control fires, and that that has led to the present condition of the forest. That's true. The point is that... <clears throat> We are where we are. The forests are a mess right now. The fuel load is such that we're not facing these small fires that occur naturally and should have been occurring naturally over the last 50 to 75 years to keep the fuel load under control. What we're faced with now is these massive forest fires. That is that situation, that condition has been caused by the federal management of the forests. That management has also resulted in extreme infestation of beetles. It's resulted in disease. And the federal government has done nothing to cure the problem. Quite to the contrary, the federal government has systematically denied and prohibited the timber industry from going in and cleaning up and thinning out the forests. Once again, that has led to the present very dangerous wildfire situation. It has been the mismanagement of the forest by the federal government that has led to where we are right now. And those policies need to change, including the allowance of a timber industry to help clean up the forest. Let's go to an email. This is Veronica in Teasdale. She says, uh, speaking of this uh, push, uh, this is truly a fool's errand. She said it's unconstitutional for starters. These lands belong to all of us, including Utahns. Should the land, uh, should the state manage to get this done, which is beyond unlikely, you can bet it'll sell off most of it to the highest bidders. An ecological devastation and locked gates will ensue. It's also a colossal waste of taxpayer dollars and political capital, making Utah look ridiculous to all but the very, uh, but the very of the reddest of states. Um, so that uh, several points in there, and, and you hear do hear these arguments, Mr. Rampton, on on the other side. Uh, you've talked about the constitutionality of of this. Um, and um, and we've talked about a, a fear of a sell-off, um, ecological devastation, or, or any any part of that you like to respond to, but uh, that part well, maybe we haven't it, responded to. It, you know, one of the things that uh, we're dealing with right now is fear of change, and fear of change is a very natural reaction. But the problem with fear of change is that it's susceptible to manipulation and basically fear-mongering. It's easy to say, what if this happens? Or what if this happens? That would be terrible. 
that's what we're getting right now, and that's what I'm hearing from these callers. They're saying, if you do this, this is going to be the result. But we don't know what the result is going to be. But they, once again, they assume a certain result and say that's terrible. And, and that's, that's what we hear time and time and time again, whether it's we can't afford it, uh, we'll mismanagement, the land will be sold off. All of this stuff is highly theoretical and probably, in all probability, uh, not going to be the case. And yet, you know, that's what is driving this opposition is fear. Let's get to uh, there. We have several tweets. By the way, you can you can uh, tweet us uh, at Utah Public Radio, and so uh, Matt McCarty on uh, on Twitter. He's uh, at Matt McCarty too. Uh, he's uh, sent in uh, a couple of things. Uh, he says, first of all, Utah should not pursue a takeover of public lands. Claims of better management are not substantiated. Then he goes on to tweet. He says, per plan. Only oil-rich lands would be developed. Remaining counties would rely on pilt-like funds. And he says this this better. Um, I had not been uh, forgotten what pilt was. Payments in lieu of taxes. I'm sure. I'm sure you, Mr. Rampton, are familiar with that. So, uh, to I wonder if you'd respond to his point. He says per plan, only oil-rich lands would be developed. The remaining counties would rely on pilt-like funds. Um, there would be other uh, Right now, the federal government pays these tilt payments, and what they are is they come out of mineral oil, and they're they're paid back to the counties uh, to help cover the cost of the fact that the county has a lot of federal land that's not revenue-producing for the county. Uh, The state recognizes the importance of those tilt funds, and part of this uh, process is that we, the state has given the counties assurance that those PILT payments will continue. The state will take over the PILT payments. Uh, but as to counties that don't have uh, mineral-rich lands, and for instance the county that relies primarily on tourism and recreation, uh, one thing that needs to happen, uh, and it's under discussion in this process, is finding a way that, for instance, dollars received by the state as a result of tourism and recreation, uh, some of that money needs to be filtered back to the counties that are struggling economically. Because tourism and recreation is very much a seasonal cash flow. And what we need to do is figure out a way to level off the cash flow to the counties through a mechanism that will more equally distribute state revenues from other activities. So, you know, all of this is being discussed. This is this is serious, serious business. I mean, we're discussing everything. And I guess, it, uh, Mr. Rampton, we do have, uh, I just wanted to add this parenthetically, we have uh, our phones are lit up and we've got some emails as well. Uh, but I guess it, it's it's trust, right? Who do you trust? And I suppose people who are, are 
you know, satisfied with the with status quo, like the way the federal government is is trust is managing the lands. They they trust the feds. Uh, sure, because that's what they know. Um, and again, what is being proposed here is change. And uh, you know, people are afraid of change, uh, even when that change is positive. People are still resistant, and they know the status quo, and they're not sure of change. And uh, that's that's a big part of the resistance: is lack of trust, fear, whatever you call it. I'm not sure it's altogether rational, but nonetheless. And uh, just checking your schedule again, Mr. Hampton, uh, we, we, the phones are lit up. I'd like to continue to respond if, if, if you have the time. I'm not sure what your schedule's like. Uh, yeah, we can go for a few more minutes. Okay. okay. Uh, so let me, let me go uh, next uh, to Bernadette in Rockville on, on the phone. Bernadette, uh, thanks for joining us. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, I want to weigh in as, um, in support of the National Park Service and other federal lands. I think fire management, he touched on fire management, and historically, there were local pressures to suppress. That wasn't just the federal agencies. Fire management has evolved with science, and that's why I think we're in a better place to control. And also the mention of the timber industry being able to help fix, and I don't know, that the mention of the timber industry gave me pause. And also I just want to remind the, the speaker that... Um, the National Park Service is supposed to be the greatest idea, America's greatest idea, and was supposed to be our best export. So I think that we have a lot to be proud of with the federal agencies, and I want to keep them under the federal government. And I'll take the response off the air. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, response, Mr. Repton? Well, uh, the caller mentions the national parks. Um, this transfer has nothing to do with the national parks. Um, it would not involve a transfer of national parks. It would not involve transfer of wilderness areas. It would not involve uh, transfer of uh, other federal reservations that are in place. Uh, basically, all we're talking about is a transfer of the lands presently being administered either by BLM or the Forest Service. It wouldn't touch any of the national parks. And uh, let's see, let me, uh, uh, Matt McCarty on, on Twitter uh, responds with a few more tweets, but I'll go on to, to some new people, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put, uh, you can go to, to Twitter and, uh, and see those at Utah Public Radio. But you can call 1-800-826-1495, just a, a few more minutes here, and uh, Mr. Ramter has to get on to his day. We appreciate him being with us. Uh, by the way, just to reset the scene, uh, Tony Rampton is... Uh, Utah Assistant Attorney General and Director of Public Lands Litigation. We are talking about a proposed uh, transfer of uh, control of uh, public lands in Utah from federal to state, and that's what we're talking about here. So here's an interesting uh, tweet from um, Travis. Uh, uh, He's uh, at High Blood Sugar. (laughs) Interesting handle. He says, if Utah takes over public lands, how does the state deal with the boom-bust cycle inherent in energy markets? Um, 
There are always going to be fluctuations in energy prices, and right now uh, energy prices are primarily controlled by uh, fossil fuels. Um, and the economic study that we had uh, performed that I discussed earlier uh, projected uh, revenues from mineral development in the state over a 30-year period which takes into account the highs and the lows and all the fluctuations and all the boom bust cycles. So that's all factored into the projections that were done in the study. Um, so, you know, it's recognized that there are going to be ups and downs in the market. Right now, the price of energy is pretty much controlled uh, by the price of oil and gas worldwide, and that in turn is to some degree controlled by OPEC, and they're able to manipulate it up and down. We're seeing that right now, <clears throat> but the study, which goes out over an extended period of time, uh, takes into account the fluctuations in the market, and even with those fluctuations uh, over time, uh, we know pretty much what the revenues are going to be. So uh, those the fluctuations are taken into account. Uh, so I, I think we'll probably have to let you go here, get you onto your your day, uh, Mr. Ampton. What, you know, final word on this? What uh, what do you think is going to happen? You you say that you know this is at least I guess anything's possible. Is is this likely to be successful? Well, um, I believe that it's going to be successful, at least in some respects. Um, as I said, uh, we're talking about. Uh, problems at all levels of government under the present system. Uh, there are problems at the local government, state government, and at the federal government. Quite frankly, uh, the federal government cannot adequately fund, or at least has not adequately funded, the administration of the public lands. And uh, they've got budgetary problems in other areas. And uh, so... What we're trying to do is move this forward thoughtfully and uh, with all the information we could possibly gather. And we're asking everyone to like, take a look at the present problem uh, and then find solutions to those problems. Well, we, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. But, and, uh, you know, as I said, this is not a short-term problem. This is not something that's going to be resolved in the next year or two. This is something that's going to take a considerable amount of time to work through, and we're in the process of doing that. Litigation may play a role. Negotiation may play a role. Play a role. Um, legislation uh, undoubtedly will play some role. So... There are a number of things that are working, but they have to move slowly and thoughtfully, and, and that's what we're doing. Uh, well, uh, uh, Tony Rampton uh, is Utah Assistant Attorney General. He's Director of Public Lands Litigation. We appreciate you uh, very much jumping in last minute and, uh, and responding to our, our callers. Thank you so much.
been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to get in a few more of the comments that have been coming in. Thank you so much for your response. And then we're going to go to uh, my recorded interview from yesterday with Representative Brian King, House Minority Leader. Uh, This break next. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've uh, had a good response to uh, this uh, proposed takeover by Utah of public lands from the federal government. Uh, As uh, I've detected, I don't know, a seriousness of intent and uh, increased hope from past efforts. Uh, Mr. Rampton, I believe, did as well. He says this is a much more serious attempt than the Sagebrush Rebellion of the 70s and 80s. And Tony Rampton is right in the middle of this. He is Director of Public Lands Litigation. He's a Utah Assistant Attorney General. He filled in for Representative Ken Ivory when uh, Representative Ivory had... Uh, was scheduled with us and had a scheduling conflict. So we appreciate Mr. Rampton coming on with us. Uh, Before we go to Representative Brian King, I was able to talk with him yesterday on this subject. I wanted to get in uh, some more uh, comments from you. And so we had a comment uh, from uh, Matt McCarty on uh, Twitter, and uh, uh, Tony Rampton responded to that, and then uh, Matt responded several more times. I wanted to get those on the air. Uh, just to remind you, he says, uh, Matt says, Utah should not pursue a takeover of public lands. Claims of better management are not substantiated. And then uh, uh, Tony Rampton responded to his uh, Matt's uh, uh, comment, per plan only oil-rich uh, lands would be developed. Remaining counties would rely on pilt-like funds. He says that better. He comes back, uh, Matt does, I don't think Utah plan includes an estimate to reduce forest fuel load. At least it's not well advertised. Talking about the argument over who could better manage lands for fire. Uh, then uh, Tony Rampton said it's, it's fear of change. That's what's provoking a lot of this response. Matt responds, no fear of change here. Utah has not presented a plan to better manage the lands, only to develop energy resources. Matt also says, so timber industry will bypass large trees in favor of clearing small trees and underbrush. That's his question. And uh, so those are some comments from Matt. And you can uh, keep that, those responses coming at Utah Public Radio. That's where you go. You can also keep the comments coming on email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Here are a couple of more uh, comments via email. This is Carla in St. George. She says, I agree that our current state legislators are busy representing themselves and not the people in the best interests of our state, as well as continuing to pour money into fights that cannot be won. As she cites as an example, moving the prison to develop the land and trying to wrest control of federal land for development are examples of this. Keep federal control of our public lands and get back onto the issues that affect and can help your constituents individually. And she lists some she would propose. Health care, education funding, increased pay for corrections officers, etc. That's Carla in uh, in St. George. Here is Dave re- responding again from Logan. He says, Tom, just imagine if the state had gotten these lands back in 1900 or so, places like Zion National Park and Canyonlands National Park would not exist because they would be private ranches not accessible to the public. 
the view of uh, Dave. And uh, here's, oh, I, I didn't get to your first uh, comment, Dave. Uh, so he says, speaking of legal theory and the law in general, has any legal action been taken against the people who drove ATVs into Recapture Canyon or against Clive and Bundy in Nevada? Dave, I'm not aware of any legal action against the ATV drivers, and uh, I don't know about the aftermath of Clive and Bundy. After the media left, I'm not sure what, what all happened. Uh, so those are, uh, are your comments, and you can keep those coming, as I mentioned. Uh, upraxis at gmail.com is uh, our email address. You can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. And uh, let's see. Matt uh, joins us. I want to get his last couple of tweets in on Twitter. He says, uh, then finalize the approach before pushing a lawsuit. And he says that this is true. I think responding to some comments of, uh, of Mr. Rampton, if this is true, the legislature should revisit its deadline. By the way, the deadline was December 31st on the original House Bill 148 for the federal government to respond. This is indi- ind- indicative of uh, poor planning and ideological drive. Anyway, keep those coming. And uh, we will go next uh, to my conversation from yesterday with Representative Brian King. He's a Democrat. He's the House Minority Leader. And we'll get uh, the view from the other side against a proposed uh, state takeover of federal public lands. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We can get into the legal rationale and, and, and finances, and I know you're opposed to, to all of this, but um, I wonder if you can understand the impetus behind this. There, there's a frustration, at least county commission level, and there are others and uh, some Republican colleagues of, of yours who say that uh, 70% of Utah land is locked up by the federal government, and they're chafing under that. Uh, I wonder yeah. if you, you know, just understand the impetus behind this. Yeah, no, no, I think that there is a lot of frustration on the part of a lot of folks who have to deal with these issues on a ground-level basis. Uh, uh, folks, my, my own grandfather was a rancher from down in central southern Utah. My father was born in Wayne County, and my grandfather had uh, a lot of property and real estate um, and agri- uh, livestock uh, dealings in both uh, Garfield County and Wayne County. And I don't have any question that there are points um, that there are legitimate grievances and concerns about the federal government and about control and about limitations on use cost of uh, uh, accessing public lands for purposes of business activities, whether it's logging or mining or uh, agriculture, or livestock, all those things. Those are important issues, and I don't uh, think that we have any um, hesitation, or we should have any hesitation about talking uh, aggressively, communicating aggressively, and confronting even at times the federal government with how they need to work more closely with us and in a way that's sensitive to the needs, the economic needs, the community needs, the recreational needs of folks here in Utah who have to deal with these issues on a day-to-day basis. There's a lot of room for improvement, in other words. And and I think that we need to do a better job at the legislative level to uh, work with the federal government and let them know that we have to have certain things addressed. And if we don't, we're going to be feeling like we're forced into more of a confrontational uh, circumstance and situation in terms of our posture with the federal government. So those are things that I take seriously. I've said to Representative Ivory, Representative Ivory and I agree on a couple of things, and that is that if we don't uh, enforce and patrol vigilantly the boundary between federal and state authority, 
that boundary is going to be uh, crossed. And uh, Governor Matheson, Scott Matheson, did this with the Sagebrush Rebellion back in the 70s and 80s. He was he was one of, at the forefront of this whole thing to try and make sure that we had greater responsiveness and greater sensitivity by the federal government in terms of dealing with our public lands in Utah. So I'm on board for that idea. You mentioned Sagebrush Rebellion, and these, these, these ideas come uh, in waves. This time around, it, I think proponents are very serious, and I think among at least some proponents, they... They're 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 very hopeful. I think this this might actually bear some fruit this time around. So I wonder what what are the reasons we should not proceed with uh, with this. Well, that's that's the good question, and that's the question that um, Representative Ivory and others come to me and say, "How come you're not on board with this?" There are several reasons. Number one, I'm I'm concerned that if we if we really want to get serious about this theory of liability. If, sooner or later, this is going to be challenged, and it's going to be presented and decided by the federal courts. The federal judiciary is going to have the final word on whether the whole, quote, take back our lands, unquote, theory that we've got with uh, HB 148 that was passed in 2012 with Representative Ivory as the sponsor is valid. And we have to take initially a very hard look at the legal validity, the, the, the soundness of that theory. I've done that. Um, I've read a fair amount about it. I've listened to a lot of folks about it. I've listened a lot to Ken Ivory about it. And I've got to tell you, the people that I, uh, my own opinion in reading it, and of course I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but I am a lawyer, and I've litigated cases regularly now for 30 years, and uh, I just think that this is very unlikely to succeed in, in the federal courts, whether it's the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal that decides it or whether it's the Supreme Court that ends up deciding it. I think it's very unlikely that those bodies, those judges are going to buy off on the idea that somehow uh, the federal government has an obligation to uh, dispose of the lands that we're talking about, their public lands in the state of Utah, in favor of our own state interest to, to those public lands. I mean, we can talk about the details of that whole legal theory back and forth, but that's the first and foremost thing that is a concern in my mind, is that we can talk about how great a theory this is and how great an idea it is, or not, all we want, but it avoids the, the, the core issue, the key issue, which is sooner or later the federal judiciary is going to decide this issue, and they're going to have the final say, and we're going to have to live with it. And I think it's very unlikely, based on the information that I'm seeing and the analysis that I'm seeing, the case law I'm seeing, and the language in the Enabling Act, the language in our state constitution, uh, all those things, I think it's very unlikely that we're going to get any far, anywhere down the road in terms of uh, success on this. So that leaves us with the question of, well, then what do we do, or, or how do we handle this? And um, I think that one of the things that we've got to make sure that we do is ensure that the public continues to have access to our public lands in the future. And that's one thing that gives me great concern about uh, HB 148 and some of the things I hear from uh, people who advocate this public land theory is that there's really no promise or guarantee that the thing that we value the most um, about those public lands, which is having access to them to do the things that we would like, is going to be preserved if and when you do have HB 148 and this public lands uh, approach that we're talking about put into place. It, it would just shift control from one layer of government to another. It would just shift control from the federal government to the state government is basically what it would do. Hmm. And uh, so in the meantime, as this is working its way through the courts, uh, I think one of the things you're trying to avoid is Utah 
bearing a lot of cost in that. Well, that's a big concern. I mean, these are expensive propositions to take these things into federal court. And one of the things that we have been deciding and we had a hearing about in our last uh, legislative management committee hearings in in January were uh, questions about how much are we going to authorize to be paid to outside legal counsel to um, prepare this litigation. And we have a $2 million price tag on just the cost of retaining outside counsel and outside public relations people to prepare for the litigation. That's not the litigation itself. And this is an open-ended checkbook here. So, you know, when we're talking about the cost, it's going to cost several million dollars. It could even be up into the, um, not seven figures, but eight figures in terms of 10 to $20 million on these kinds of things. We don't know. And when we have such a little prospect of success, I think it's just waste of money, quite honestly. I also think that it antagonizes us in terms of our relationship with the federal government. There are things that we can do to work on that relationship that we need to do to make it better. I don't think that we help ourselves by uh, becoming an irritant to the point that the federal government doesn't take us seriously in terms of our legitimate, valid concerns. We need to communicate with those folks. We need to get their help and their assistance. We can't just ignore them and do this on our own. And um, I think the best way of approaching the federal government aggressively and in a way that zealously looks after the interests of the citizens of the state of Utah is not to basically uh, run off in the direction of pursuing a legal theory that very, very few people say has any realistic chance of of, uh, prevailing. But it's to go to them and say, look, we've got some very unhappy people out here in Utah, and there's a reason for that. We need to work with you. We need to have you work with us. And uh, if you want more confrontations on public lands in the state of Utah between its citizens and federal law enforcement authorities or federal forest servants or BLM forest service or BLM authorities, you know, keep up the stonewalling of us because things will get more tense. And nobody really wants that. That's not beneficial. So that's kind of what my thinking is on that. I wonder if we could get into a little bit of, a little more detail on the, on the legal arguments. Um, proponents to the Site Enabling Act, uh, some other legal arguments. Uh, you've you've called uh, success highly unlikely. Why do you think that's the case? Sure, sure. Well, one of the conditions that the citizens of the territory of Utah at the time were required to enter into at the time we became a state was that they forever disclaimed any claim or right to claim uh, ownership of those lands that at that time were held by the territory uh, of Utah, but were held by the United States. It wasn't held by the territory of Utah in the territory's own name, of course. It was held by the United States, and Utah is a, at at that time in uh, 1895, leading up to January of 1896 when we became a state, those were federal lands. They weren't state lands. That's why the whole idea of, quote, taking back, unquote, our state lands from the feds is a misnomer. That misunderstands the entire relationship from the get-go between the territory of Utah and the United States. Uh, when we came, when the area was settled by the Mormon pioneers in 1847, of course, we were not even a part of the United States. We were part of the uh, nation by, by, of Mexico. And it was not until um, a few months later that we had the United States taking over that land and obtaining ownership of it. So the land has always been the property of the United States. And as a condition to becoming a state, the United States made very clear to the folks who lived out in the territory of Utah, you disclaim any right to those lands. 
So I know that there are arguments on the other side, and I'm not saying there aren't there. I'm saying that when people look at the arguments about the Enabling Act and the other um, uh, language that they are supporting, that they say supports their position, the best they can say is that there was language at the time in the Enabling Act and in the Constitution that contemplated that the federal government may, in its discretion, dispose of those lands in a way that uh, either left them open for state uh, takeover or would be sold to the private, uh, you know, to the public members of the public, citizens of the, of the country who would then use those lands for their private use. That's, of course, what happened in many eastern states. But there isn't any language that you can find in either the Enabling Act or in the Constitution that commits, that requires the federal government to do that. And that's the problem. Uh, up until about the 1970s, the federal government was quite um, clear in its direction of disposing of public lands oftentimes, not always, but they had a, a very frequent policy of disposing of public lands by way of um, purchase to, you know, you know, allowing individuals to purchase them or homesteading rights or allowing the state government to purchase them or some other entity. That changed. The federal government said in the 1970s particularly, we're changing our position in how we deal with our public lands. We're going to more uh, aggressively look out uh, for a policy of preserving those public lands, especially in areas of great beauty. But not even necessarily areas of great beauty, but just areas of uh, to preserve habitat, to preserve species, to preserve uh, the wildness of the land. We're more uh, turning in the direction of preserving those public lands as opposed to disposing of them. There's not much that we can do as citizens of the United States to prevent the Congress of the United States from making that public policy decision other than to say we don't like it and we're going to elect people who pursue a public land policy that's different than the people who are back in Washington, D.C. today. But we haven't been able to successfully do that. I don't know that that would be a good thing. I personally like having our public lands preserved. But but it's multiple-use preservation. That's what the BLM is all about. They want to see lands, public lands used in a multiple-use way that's wise, that allows for economic development, that allows for local community development, that allows for recreation, all those things. They, it's a difficult balancing act for the BLM to carry out. But my point simply is things have changed since 1896 in how we approach our public lands in the Utah and in the United States as a whole, and so be it. That's the nature of the evolutionary process that exists when we live in the, the world and especially in the United States. Before we leave the, the legal arguments, get get to the arguments on merit, uh, I've seen proponents of a transfer from federal to state. Uh, they cite... Uh, case in in hawaii fairly recent um yeah where you know the land was successfully transferred from federal to state yeah that that has to do a lot with the circumstances that are quite peculiar to the state of hawaii and uh the fact that there was an independent kingdom i mean the the details of that case are are quite different than the case, uh, the situation that we have in the territory of Utah and um, the fact, you know, the circumstances surrounding how we became a state. Number one, the the, the history and heritage of how uh, why uh, of how Hawaii, as an independent kingdom, came to be a part of the United States first by territory and then by state, is very different than ours. Number one, but number two, if you look at that language in that case, you see that there is. The Supreme Court is a long ways away from giving a thumbs up to the kind of theory that is being promoted by those who are looking to take the lands 
um, from the federal government here in, in this situation under HB 148. I know Representative Ivory and others, uh, they've talked to me about that case, and they've talked to me about the language in the case that they believe supports them. And it, it does support them to some extent, but it doesn't get very far down the road in terms of analysis. Um, it's more helpful for them than it is for folks who are contrary to the HB 148 argument. I'd give you that. But the case, like I say, doesn't isn't so well-developed analytically as to really directly address the situation that we face in Utah very squarely. And I just don't think that, that in, in that sense, I don't think that it sheds a lot of light that's helpful for us on our situation here. If you just joined us, we're talking with Representative Brian King. He's a Democrat uh, representing uh, uh, parts of Salt Lake City. He is the House Minority Leader. And we're talking about uh, a proposed um, public lands transfer from federal to state. Earlier in the program, we heard from uh, Representative Ken Ivory. Uh, so I want to get to uh, probably the, the crux of, of this, and, and that's how do you manage these lands. That's that's where uh, people propose transfer. Are, I think that's a big burr under their saddle, right? It's not being managed as, as they think it should be. Uh, I wonder if you've seen, had a chance to look at the new Stegner Center report. Yeah. Yeah, not not in detail. I've, I It was in, I think, last week or the week before it came out, and of course the session's been on and we've been going, so I haven't had a chance to really focus on it like I'd like to, but, but my what I have seen of it um, reiterates this idea that there are some real doubts and questions about the fiscal wisdom of having these uh, lands transferred to the uh, state of Utah. Um, the cost associated with maintaining the lands in the way that we'd like to maintain them. And, then, and you know, the, the federal government maintains, spends, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in maintaining the public lands in the state of Utah. And they don't do it perfectly. Um, they, they do many things well. They do some things not so well. They can improve in many areas. I don't have any question about that. I don't dispute it when local folks raise those concerns and those issues. But what they do uh, have is access to resources in terms of paying for the management of those lands that, if the lands are transferred to the state, are no longer going to be there. We're going to have to replace those resources. I'll give you one example. We had hearings last year about uh, management of uh, fire, uh, fire management here in the state on state lands and on uh, federal lands. And uh, I said to the state fire management people uh, in a hearing, so where does your budget come to for the management of uh, wildfires on these lands? And they said, oh, the great majority comes from the federal government. Now, we'd have to replace those funds. And the cost of doing so, depending on the year and depending on the fire activity, could be relatively manageable or it could be huge. Now, the question is, well, where do those funds come from? The folks who are proposing to take these lands say, well, they'd come from primarily, not exclusively, but primarily they'd come from revenue generated by uh, the extraction of minerals and oil and natural gas and things like that, primarily oil and natural gas. And they do the analysis of saying, unless you have the price of oil at a certain level, you're going to be in the red significantly on the kind of money that's generated from those activities to use to pay for management of public lands that are now currently in federal hands, but then under the bill would be in state hands. And we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here. It's no small amount. And when you're talking about the price of oil on the world oil market, that's something, of course, that Utahns 
even if we held those lands, would have very little control over. We are at the mercy of much larger players in that field than we would be. And so, we'd, I, you know, one of the things that I have on my desk, in a drawer of my desk in our house chamber, is a die, <laughs> one of two dice. And, uh, you know, sometimes, depending on what the topic is, I'll pull it out and say, well, do you want to roll a die on this one? Do you want to roll a dice? And, and it, it illustrates the point that this is a very risky proposition if we're going to take these lands back, because we would have to manage them. We would have to spend the money and the resources to make sure that they were taken care of in the way that we wanted to have them taken care of as long as the state of Utah owned them. And the cost of doing so may be covered by development of those lands, but it may not be. And I think that Utahns are not, do not understand well at this point just what sort of risk we're talking about if we go down that road. I wonder what your reaction is uh, to the study released late last year, Utah Public Lands Policy Coordinating Office, which essentially argued that Utah could afford the management costs that would come with acquiring the, uh, the some 30 million acres of lands now controlled by the federal government. That They seem to indicate that, yeah, Utah could, could pick up the tab. They could only if, I mean, the primary driver for the revenue generated by those public lands was this question about oil and uh, natural gas prices. That's true only if you have those prices for those um, commodities staying above certain levels. And if you do, you're fine, according to the study. But if you don't, you've got a real problem. And that's my concern is that, you know, we're, we're putting a lot of eggs in the basket of the prices of commodities that are fluctuate and are very fluctuate wildly and are very volatile on a global market. It's not something we control at the state level, certainly. And it's not something that we can control at a federal level. So, you know, if we want to go down that road, if we want to roll the dice, you know, that's what proponents of those of this take the, the taking of these federal lands want to put their money on. And I question the degree to which we should be comfortable doing that. Just have a few minutes left here. At, uh, I want to get back to a, a key issue. Some would say that the key issue, especially if you're a conservationist. Uh, so, you know, say this uh, scenario where this were successful, the state would take over some 30 million acres. Then the worst case scenario from the conservation point of view would be uh, an increase, a ramp up in drilling, maybe, you know, you'd have strip mining, perhaps sell-off of, of lands. Right. Uh, right. And, if you and those, are, that those are very important points, because one of the things that we all value tremendously about our public lands is we have access to them. We don't have access to everything that the federal government owns right now, but we have pretty open access. I mean, I've been down to the San Rafael Swell, for example, and, and um, the Boulder Mountain, and, and uh, you know, areas that the BLM controls out in the West Desert. And, you know, there's tremendous opportunity to go a lot of different places. Not every place, but I, I find it very hard, very hard to believe that if the lands were taken by the state, they would not be disposed of in some way, either sold or used for development in a way that would restrict the public's access to those lands. Now, some of those lands, you know, the public, there aren't a lot of members of the public that really care. There's a ton of uh, land throughout the state of Utah that is wide open, and there, it just isn't much there. It's beautiful, but there isn't a lot of reason or opportunity for us to go out and spend time there um, as citizens, you know. But there are many areas, many areas that we look at and we think we would hate to have our access limited in any way. Our national forests right now, 
much BLM land that is, as I say, out in the West Desert, down on the Henry Mountains or the Boulder Mountain, down on uh, out in the Duchesne and Uinta County, the Tavaputs Plateau. There, there are just in many, many areas that people love to go to, and they want to be free to go to. And if we're going to have those lands developed or sold, the access almost certainly will be restricted, if not entirely cut off. I do hear from uh, some Southern Utah listeners, we, we talk about these issues, uh, who say that, uh, yes, it's, it's good to have uh, tourism. They, they can acknowledge that's an important part of the economy. But in other respects, the, their economies are limited by the rules set up by the federal government. They, they feel that if the transfer were made to the state, the, the economy would, would do a little better in those areas. That may be true. That may be true. I don't know that I'd, I'd dispute that. I'll tell you, one of the things that you see is that when when you have a transfer over, you're more likely to have uh, self-interest or self-dealing at the state or local level come to bear in a way that enriches some, but it also uh, enriches them or may enrich them at the expense of others, and it certainly may enrich a few at the expense of individuals who right now take for granted access to those lands. Um, there's a there there are places that are, are of great beauty that would be of tremendous value to many citizens who have tremendous amounts of wealth that they'd be happy to say to the state of Utah, I'll make you a sweet deal if I can have exclusive access to that area for my own personal aesthetic value and for the the interest of my children and my family in the future. But I I want it and I and I want to purchase it and. Uh, I want it forever in perpetuity, and I'll offer a significant amount of money to you, State of Utah, if you'll provide it to me. And look, uh, the State of Utah is not necessarily just going to sell anything that comes their way. I have greater confidence in my colleagues in both the executive and the legislative branch than that. But I do know that if the decisions are being made at the state or local level, they're much more likely to be influenced by the prospect for immediate gain than if those decisions are being made at a more disinterested level. In other words, what I'm saying is it's frustrating to work with the federal government, an entity that is so far away and so far removed from the everyday concerns of Utahns in the state of Utah. It is frustrating. There are some real problems that come with that, but there's some upside that comes with that. And that is an insulation from the kind of self-interest and self-dealing that could rapidly be corrupting and that could rapidly uh, constitute uh, pressure to make a decision that would be not in the, maybe in our immediate interests as people involved right there immediately, locally or at the state level, but it certainly wouldn't be in the interests of our children and of our grandchildren and of generations after them. So in that sense, federal ownership of these lands really provides us with some security, uh, maybe at times at the expense of immediate opportunity, but that doesn't trouble me quite honestly a lot of times. We've been talking with Representative Brian King. He's a Democrat, uh, represents the uh, area of Salt Lake City, and he is the House Minority Leader. We've been talking about a proposed uh, public lands transfer from federal to, uh, to state control. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thanks very much to uh, Representative Brian King, House Minority Leader, and uh, our extra special thanks to Tony Rampton, who is uh, Utah Assistant Attorney General uh, over this uh, public lands issue. Uh, on very late notice, he filled in for Representative Ken Ivory, who had a uh, conflict come up. Uh, I just want to uh, wrap up the program here with this uh, answer to a question 
uh, post earlier. This is from Veronica and Teasdale. He's, uh, she's responding to, I'll just reread this from David Logan on email. Speaking of legal theory and the law in general, has any legal action been taken against the people who drove ATVs into Recapture Canyon or against Clive and Bundy? These were some examples I gave early in the program uh, for actions uh, based on this impetus and this uh, dissatisfaction with federal uh, management of uh, public lands. And uh, so I didn't have a real good answer, but luckily Veronica and Teasdale did. She says San Juan County Commissioner Phil Lyman will stand trial in March for organizing and conducting an illegal ATV ride in Recapture Canyon. Clive and Bundy and his cows remain at large, freeloading on our public lands. That's uh, the comment and answer to our question from Veronica in Teasdale. Thanks to everyone who responded. Keep those comments coming. Uh, upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, 